So I want to ask you to do something without overthinking it, okay? I want you to complete this sentence. Just immediately, whatever comes to your mind. Heaven is... Turn to your neighbor and tell them what you said. Heaven is... Just complete it. First thing that comes to your mind. Heaven is... Just say it to the person sitting next to you. Daniel. What'd you say? Peace. Peace. What'd you say? (laughs) I think it's interesting to look at our concepts of heaven and what shapes them. Perhaps they are shaped by what we see in the movies, like the recent movie that is called Heaven is for Real, uh, from a book, a story, true story, about a four-year-old who goes to heaven, comes back, tells the story, or it comes out in the story. Many think that our understanding of heaven comes from Dante's Divine Comedy, not just heaven, but hell, purgatory, Perhaps our thoughts about heaven can be described by a paragraph out of Maria Shriver's very popular children's book called What's Heaven? She writes this. It's a beautiful place where you can sit on soft clouds and talk to other people who are there. At night you can sit next to the stars, which are the brightest of anywhere in the universe. And if you're good throughout your life, then you get to go to heaven. When your life is finished here on earth, God sends angels down to take you up to heaven to be with him. Many people think of heaven that way. Also, I think our thinking about heaven and hell, interestingly enough, can be shaped by a lot of cartoons. It comes up a lot. Actually, like this one, where you see the man sitting on a cloud and he says, God, this is boring. So we have this picture of heaven being sitting on, a, you know, sitting on a cloud and oftentimes there's harps in your hands and that does sound boring to me. In fact, this next one, this cartoon, Farsight, is put on a coffee mug and the guy says, wish I'd brought a magazine. <laughs> what does the Bible have to say about heaven? And how does that impact the way we live today? This book of Revelation, which Holly told us, is a vision. It is a vision, and it is written by a man who is a part of a church and pastoring a church that is suffering in one of the cruelest times of the Roman Empire, where it was either Nero or Domitian, but the emperor was an insane man, a very, very cruel man, and took great delight in taking out his wrath on Christians in particular. And so they're suffering. They're suffering over the long haul, and it doesn't seem to matter what they do or don't do, nothing changes. And so you have in this vision, you have these snapshots. You have these evocative pictures, which is what apocalyptic literature is, and that's what it is. It's the very end of the biblical story, and it's being addressed to a suffering church, and it's providing pictures for them that are helping them in how they are living their lives right now, right in the midst of the reality that they're in. 
At the very end of Revelation, chapters 19 through 22, there are seven different visions of the end. And the scripture I'm going to read right now is just two of those seven. And then we're going to talk about those snapshots and those pictures and what they give to us uh, by way of helping us understand what heaven is, but also what we can do today and how we live our lives. Revelation chapter 20, you are invited to follow along. It's the very back of your Bibles uh, there in the PRAC if you want to. Revelation 20, beginning at verse 11 and going into the first cha- or the chapter 21, verse 8. Let's pray. Living God, we pray for your word in Jesus Christ to speak to us right where we are here this morning that we may hear you and that we may live our lives oriented in you. By your spirit, amen. Listen to God's word to you. And then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne And books were opened. Also another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. This book of Revelation actually ends the way it begins, which is this amazing picture of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is what? First letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the very last letter. The very beginning, the very end, the one who was and is and is to come is holding all things together. 
that is the picture that we have for the church in the first century. And it reveals a throne. It reveals an authority. It reveals a kingdom that is greater than Rome, saying, I have the keys of death and of Hades. So what is heaven? What's up with heaven? We have in this picture a very simple answer, which is to move more deeply into the arms of Jesus Christ. That's a simple answer. But we have in this vision much more evocative and fuller and very rich and meaningful snapshots that encourage us to know a lot more about what heaven is about. So what I want us to do is look at these snapshots and you will see that they reveal more of the character of God and who God is and what God has promised that helps us orient our lives today. First snapshot that we encounter in our passage is the last judgment, the final judgment. All people, all people, great and small, stand before a great white throne. We aren't told who's on that throne, but we know from the larger book. And books are opened. Books are opened that are full of all the deeds that have been done by all of us. Every deed that anybody has ever done. That's a lot of books, isn't it? And finally, what we see is that there is justice. Finally, people are held accountable for their actions. And if you stop and think about it, we long for this. How often do we say that is not fair? That is so unjust. And it doesn't help to hear people say life is unfair, does it? This week has been such a painful week in our news. And part of what's made it so painful, the pain coming out of Baton Rouge, the pain coming out of Minneapolis, is this cry for justice. A cry for justice. And then there is the temptation to take vengeance into our own hands and we see this cry coming out of Dallas with the slaughter of these keepers of the peace. People get away with murder. And there is this despair that no matter what we do or don't do, it just seems to stay the same or to get worse. When will there be justice? When will things be made right? That's what the church wanted to know in the first century when it continued on and on and on under madmen. And finally, in this snapshot, we see justice. God will set the world right for all time. And that's good news, isn't it? then why did this pic- does this picture seem so scary? You know, any of you who have been to the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's painting of the Last Judgment that's on the back wall, that's a scary painting. If you really look up close, which is hard to do because you can't see that close, but when you do, it's scary. Same thing on the, on the doorposts of, of places like the Amiens Cathedral in France there are these depictions of some being marched off to this torment in hell and some being marched off to heaven, and it's scary. 
But there's one reason that this picture is not scary. One really, really important reason. And that's because of who is the judge. The judge seated on the throne all through Revelation is God revealed in the Lamb. God revealed in Jesus Christ. As Beekner puts it, the one who judges us most finely will be the one who loves us most fully. That's the judge. Who went into hell to bring all people out of it. So you notice in this story, this evocative picture of the books being opened, there's another book being opened, isn't there? That's not full of our deeds. It's full of what God has done. Next week, we're going to talk about what's up with hell. So take that part. We're going to come back to this next week in terms of that. What do we do with these books? The books that have our deeds and the consequences of them and the book of life filled with what God has done in Jesus Christ. But the good news for us and for the people living in the first century, finally there will be justice. Justice. And it will be figured out and sorted out by the judge who is Jesus Christ. How many times have I heard people say, please pray for the judge that is going to decide this court case of my particular beloved one. Please pray that it's a compassionate judge. The judge here is the one who was and is and is to come and loves us more greatly than we could ever love ourselves. That's the first snapshot. Finally, there will be judgment. Second snapshot, which Holly alluded to, is this new creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, See, I am making all things new. I think the popular conception, and perhaps it's yours too, is the one we hear in Maria Shriver's book, which is angels are going to come and take you away to another place, to a disembodied spiritual place, and everything that's here is just passing away and is going to be done away. Actually, we see the opposite. There is this vision of heaven coming to earth. It is the answer to the prayer we've been praying in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The God who made heaven and earth is going to remake them, join them together. God does not say, I'm making all new things, but all things new. And this is what we hear in Romans 8, this groaning on the part of all of creation in labor pains for the resurrection. So when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body, we're not just talking about human bodies. We're talking about all of creation, heaven and earth. What then is heaven? Not a place located somewhere in outer space where we escape from our humanity to become angels or disembodied spirits. No, it is heaven coming to God's great creation, fulfilling it, remaking it. The same thing that God did for Jesus, God is doing for all of creation. You know, earlier in this service, when we were in the hymn sing, we sang, How Great Thou Art. And the last verse we sang, When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. N.T. Wright believes that we need to correct that 
And if we were theologically correct, we would say, when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and heal this world, what joy shall fill my heart. Yes, Jesus wants to take us to a mansion to be wherever Jesus is, but it's going to be in a new heavens and a new earth, all things made new. That's the second picture. Third picture. Got the last judgment. It's all going to be sorted out by the compassionate and a loving judge who is Jesus Christ. You've got this new creation that, that comes with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you have a wedding. You have a wedding. This is my favorite image for heaven. There is the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Who doesn't love a wedding? Who doesn't love seeing a bride come forward? Who doesn't love the joy and that moment of coming together, the two becoming one flesh? You know, throughout the Bible, there is this picture of God as a husband, a covenant, faithful God, and Israel as God's wife, usually the unfaithful wife. Then you get into the New Testament, and Jesus is often talked about as a bridegroom. The church is talked about as the bride. It's a stunning metaphor of unconditional love and intimacy and union. Finally, heaven and earth coming together like a bride and a bridegroom. Recently, I was visiting Ellie and Jerry Coffin. This was a few weeks ago before Ellie died. Ellie has suffered with Alzheimer's for many years, and her husband, Jerry, has Parkinson's, so very limited in what he can do. And I was talking to him in his bed um, where he was lying, couldn't really get up at that point, and I was just talking about the way it's going to be. I said, Jerry, it's not all gonna be, always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. There's a wedding banquet coming. There is a party and it was so sweet because we talked about other things. But then a little later he said, he talks real softly, when? I said, what? He said, when? I said, when? When's the wedding going to be? You know, Ellie Coffin often let us borrow their family wedding quilt. I love this quilt because of what it says about who God is. Married to us unconditionally has in mind for us an intimacy and a union that is literally shocking to our sensibilities. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. God himself will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my children. This is wedding covenant language that we hear throughout this text. So we have this picture of finally justice, the last judgment, and the judge is the compassionate one who was and is and is to come. We see a new creation like Jesus' resurrected body. All creation, heaven and earth, will be made new. And we see this wedding, this wedding, the coming together of heaven and earth, but the coming together, God with us. And then there's one last evocative picture that is probably the most important because bottom line, we cannot describe what heaven is like and we get into trouble when we try to when it becomes a cloud with harps then it gets shrunken 
When we try to say what it is, it gets small and meaningless. And so you see in this passage, they actually describe heaven by describing what's not there. You hear this, no more. No more what? Do you remember what was in that passage? No more what? No more tears. No more what? No more death. No more mourning. First thing he says is no more sea. That's interesting. He's separated by a sea there on Patmos from all of his beloveds. No more separation. No more chaos. No more death. Yeah, the sea was no more. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And then he goes on. No more cowardly, faithless, polluted, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. This isn't just meant to describe who's in or who's out. This is meant to describe what the city won't have. No more of that. So what would you like to add to the list? No more cancer. No more global warming. No more poverty. No more suicide bombers. No more suicide. No more guns. No more war. Those who conquer will inherit these things. Well, who's that? Who has conquered? It's only one. This all comes from God. Out of heaven, from God. It is a gift to the thirsty. I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. And because God is for us, as Romans 8 says, who can stand against us? There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. It is the one who was and is and is to come. And he write in his book, Surprised by Joy, he said that he remembers the great preacher, the great teacher, pastor, Bishop Leslie Newbegin, really a great pastor and writer who lived in the last century. Someone asked him if he looked toward the future as a pessimist or as an optimist. And this was his answer. He said, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's really all we know. That really is all we know. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And he is the judge, the compassionate judge, who will sort it all out, and finally there will be justice. And he will bring, as he does with his resurrection, a new creation. He is the loving bridegroom that came so that nothing would separate us from union with God. He is the conqueror who's conquered everything evil so that there will be no more evil and death. So what is heaven? And what difference does it make in the way we live our lives today? 
If the one who was and is and is to come holds all things, then it will change, it does change for me what I plan to do this week. What I plan to do in terms of thinking about justice. What I plan to do in terms of care for this creation, my body, my life, God's creation. What I plan to do in terms of investing in the one who knows me intimately, is committed to me intimately in Jesus Christ. And investing nothing in anything that is down the road of the no mores, anything that separates, anything that causes grief and mourning and death. Let's pray. God, there's so many questions that we have. We wonder what is to come. We wonder what to believe. And we praise you that you have come to us in Jesus Christ so that we can know not only what is coming, but what matters and what doesn't. Help us, O oh God, to work for your justice, to trust in your justice, not to take vengeance into our own hands. Help us, O oh God, to care for your creation. Help us to live into the covenant vows that you have made to us and that you call us to make to you. We thank you and praise you for the hope that is ours. We look forward to that day, soon and very soon, when we will know completely what is hidden from us right now, that you are Lord. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, amen.